Hey there, thank you so much for downloading and subscribing to our Big Time Talker podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, the Blog Talk Radio Network, wherever you get your podcast. If you like what you hear, tell a friend, and uh, we post new episodes every Tuesday, courtesy of our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. In-person meetings and conferences are coming back, so if you're a platform speaker or maybe you're a meeting planner looking for a speaker, you can find one another at SpeakerMatch.com. If you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you know I am a proud native of the state of West Virginia, a state that has been much maligned for many years by the media. That continues. And so we thought it would be interesting to talk to somebody who is active in the media in the state of West Virginia. My old friend Dave Allen is the uh, host of the most listened to radio show in the largest market in West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, and he and I have known each other for many years. He knows his way around media in the state, and we're happy to have him on the Big Time Talker program. Hello, young man. How are you, sir? Great so to be here. It's, uh, it's a state that, that some people would say you have to be from to love, uh, but we both love our home state. Uh, this is a state that if it's known for anything around the country, it may be known for Mountaineer football or the Hatfields or McCoys, um, uh, which is from our neck of the woods, but you, you were not an athletic kid coming up. How did you get into, uh, in, into broadcasting? How did that happen? The same way that you did, because I was not an athletic kid, <laughs> exactly like you. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I've always, you know, Burke, I have always had an interest in broadcasting. I mean, from the uh, time that I was a kid, I was watching the television news, you know, uh, being a kid of the seventies in West Virginia, we got three, we had, we had three channels. And I, when my friends were busy watching cartoons, I was more interested in who was doing the news at six o'clock. Um, and, you know, radio was always a very big part of, um, of what was going on in my, in my life at the time of my family, the radio was always on in the house. And, um, and my, um, my grandmother saw that I had a love of radio and actually, and you know, there we had with two, two radio stations uh, in our, in our small hometown of Logan, West Virginia. And she actually took me to one of them. Uh, you just would, it's an Appalachian thing. You know, everybody knows everybody, but she didn't know anybody at the radio station. She just took me up the stairs one day and said, hi, this is my grandson. And he's got a real interest in radio. Could someone here show him around? And and they, sure enough, they said, uh, yeah, come along, young man. And they showed me the different, you know, back in those days in the 70s, the real to real machines and the old cart machines and things of that nature and the records. And I was just fascinated. And if I was out traveling with my parents or with my grandparents and we heard on the radio that there was a live broadcast going on somewhere, like at a hardware store or something, I had to stop by and I, I would beg them to stop by to let me to, to talk to them at the car lot or wherever they happen to be. Um, so yeah, it's been a part of, of who I was. I'm a huge music fan. And so, um, when I had an opportunity, you know, I was in, uh, I was actually in high school. We had a high school radio station to get involved with that high school radio station. I did that and then started working at one of the two small town radio stations in Logan, West Virginia, uh, when I was 17 years old and the rest, as they say, is history. You know, there was a time in, you mentioned the 70s, the 80s, maybe even a little bit later when, when being in the media was something to aspire to. And you looked up to uh, the, the Walter Cronkites that you saw on TV uh, or the, you know, the, the big local radio personality. And somewhere along the way, media became a bad word. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it's the the mainstream media and it's with yeah. a snarl uh, or uh, you know, it's the media's fault for this the media's fault for that. You do this every day and have done it for a long time. Where did this start to go sideways and why does the media have such a bad reputation? Well, I think in part the media, and, and I will say this, I, I loathe that term when it's used in derogatory uh, way simply because it's not fair to say the media. What exactly is the media? I mean, uh, what I do is a local talk show in, in Charleston, the capital of West Virginia, talking about local issues. Uh, should I necessarily be lumped in with CNN or Fox News? No, because we have two totally different things that, that we're trying to accomplish. Um, I think in part, though, the media is partly, I just did it, didn't 
uh, <laughs> so <laughs> media members are responsible for themselves because at some point, and this is not true of all media by any stretch of the imagination, but at some point, we went from Walter Cronkite telling us that's the way it is to people giving their opinions on things. Now, opinions have always been part of commentaries and things like that, and I have zero issue with that at all, but, but the line somewhere got blurred. And it started to happen, I think, even a little bit before CNN became what CNN became and what Fox News later kind of went off the CNN model. And so now people go out and they look for news that fits their, their, their political agenda. And so I don't know exactly when that happened. Now, a lot of people will point to Trump and, you know, the, but you know, it was going on well before Donald Trump. He, he certainly put the exclamation point on by using the term fake news and fake media and and, and so on and so forth. But people started going out looking for news sources that subscribe to their, their particular political agenda, whether they're Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. And so they started going to a fire, and I, and I, you know, I, I use Fox News or MSNBC uh, as examples, but there's plenty more out there, not just in broadcasting, but also in, in print as well, Right. Where, where they go out and they look for things well, this is what is happening because, you know, you need to turn, as a person who, let's just say I'm a liberal Democrat, I look at, at Burke Allen and, and, I, and maybe you're a conservative Republican, I say, well, you need to turn off uh, Fox News and Newsmax and you need to turn on where the real news is on MN, uh, MSNBC or, right. or whatever. And I think, I, I think, long story short, too late for that, but I think the media actually, the media actually owns some of the responsibility because they're the ones that kind of started by being so opinionated on certain things and not just going out and saying, this is what happened. And, and even when you watch nightly news now, and I'm one of the last people that still, it's kind of our routine. My wife and I sit down, you know, uh, have dinner and we, we turn on one of the nightly newscasts, you know, one of the, one of the networks. Right. And, uh, and you can't, they cannot report seemingly anything without there being some sort of an, of an agenda to it or some sort of a, of a bias. And I do think it's, uh, whether it's, uh, so, you know, sometimes it's implied, but sometimes they don't even try to hide it anymore. Uh, and, and again, I'm not picking on liberal media. I mean, you know, the folks at Fox and, and, and some of these others, uh, they're, they're just as guilty in my opinion. We're talking about the media with talk show host Dave Allen, who hosts the show 580 Live in the capital city of uh, West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia. And uh, that's available as well as a podcast, if you'd like to, to download that at 58WCHS.com. Is that right? Yes. Uh, well, it's actually, I'm sorry, it's WCHSnetwork.com. Just take the numbers out. It's WCHSnetwork.com. You, um, you host a talk show. And yes. on that talk show, you share your opinion and your hosts share their opinions. And there's a delineation or at least there used to be between news coverage and opinion shows like yours. And, and I wonder from your vantage point, because you take these phone calls every day from listeners and you get covered up by text from listeners. Text, text, um, for, the, for, you know, for those that don't know, text in my world have become the new phone call. Uh, we may get uh, one phone call per show, but we'll get 50 to 60 texts, if not more. Wasn't that interesting? So people. Well, and well, and a lot of that's because the text, at least in our system, are anonymous. I mean, I get a phone number that shows up, and if I wanted to take the time to look it up, do a reverse search, and find out who it is, I could. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the 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 texts come in as anonymous. People will say things on a text line, or maybe they would never a, say. They would never. But they would never call the show and say. But go ahead. Uh, go ahead. No, that's a it's an interesting point, uh, and, and I wonder if if you think your audience or audiences in general know the difference or can delineate the difference between opinion shows like yours and news programming, or has it gotten so blurry now when you watch Fox news or, or you watch, you know, quote unquote, breaking news on CNN, if people can tell the difference and if therein lies the problem. I, I think that's a very good point, Berg. And, and I think some people can, and some people can't, you know, I have a political uh, opinions on things, but my show is a little bit different. You know, um, I, I am glad to give my opinions on things on the show, 
but I offer a platform to all sides. And, and I'll give you an example. In West Virginia, um, we, we just had a, a, a huge court ruling that came down uh, in Kanawha Circuit Court. Kanawha County is the, is the county where the, where the state capital is, the county seat of, of Charleston, West Virginia. Right. Um, and uh, it, it, it came out of circuit court. The legislature in West Virginia, which is a Republican supermajority, which if you know anything all about West Virginia politics, man, how much that's changed since when you and I were even growing up in the 70s and 80s. Sure. Um, it's a Republican supermajority now um, in West Virginia. It has gone from blue to bright, bright red. Well, one of the things that a lot of the, the, the Republicans ran on uh, was school choice, you know, charter schools, so to speak. Well, they instituted a program in West Virginia called the Hope Scholarship. And basically what it does is it allows parents, if you choose to homeschool your kids or send them to a private school or some sort of a charter school, um, through the, the treasurer's office, the state treasurer's office, you parents can get um, $4,500 uh, to, to be used toward materials, to be um, used toward tuition, whatever that, that the parents want to use it for. And the legislature passed this. It was not hotly debated because, again, we have a super majority. So there were a few people that split. Teachers unions were obviously against it. Well, yesterday in Kanawha Circuit Court, uh, Judge Joanna Tabbitt ruled that it was unconstitutional and uh, put a stop to it. Well, there's going to be appeals and things that nature. My point in saying all this is that on my show this morning, I had the head of the teachers union in the state of West Virginia, a gentleman by the name of Fred Albert, but also had one of the lead delegates on that, um, that, that sponsored the bill. And in addition to that, I had, uh, we we're affiliated with the Metro News Radio Network uh, in the state of West Virginia. It's um, a statewide uh, network, statewide network, 30 some odd stations. I had the guy that's covered this. He's our head political reporter on the air too. So what I presented to the people was here's what the teachers union, they are applauding the decision. This is what they said about it. Here is what the one of the lead delegates, who's a Republican, who sponsored the bill to put the Hope Scholarship in place to begin with. Here's what he said about it, and here is what the someone in the in the media said about it, and then, and and kind of went from there. And so my point in saying all that is on my show, even though I am I lean conservative, I'm more of a moderate conservative. There are some of us out there, believe it or not. Um, I like to present both sides. Uh, and then let the listeners decide for themselves. Un, uh, sadly, though, that's that's becoming a relic of things in the past. Now, I don't have to do that. I, that's just the way I choose to do my particular show. Uh, I, I don't care, again, to give my opinions, but I like to be, you know, as a conservative, um, I, I don't want to listen to Fox News talking points all day. I want to listen to other things. I want to read the New York Times, Washington Post. I want to see what they are saying about things. In local media, uh, like your radio show, uh, like your local TV newscast, it seems that that is, is sort of the last bastion of uh, biased reporting or maybe less biased reporting. And, and you know, the, the local TV anchor kind of gets thrown in into the mix with Sean Hannity or, yeah. you know, or some, you know, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell on, on MSNBC, these, these opinion hosts. And, and that's a totally different gig, right? Yeah, I mean, when you are in a small market, uh, you are like, you know, the Huntington Charleston uh, market is, is where I reside. Um, and I, I mean, our, our television reporters um, are, are covering school board meetings and potholes and flooding and uh, uh, yeah, house fires and car wrecks. The city of St. Albans got a new dump truck kind of a thing. It's really unfair. That's that's what makes up the majority of news. It's not always hot button issues. Um, and, uh, and, and so I think Again, going back to one of our original points, when you say the media, uh, it's really unfair because and most of these reporters that work in these smaller markets are people that are just are, are trying to build a resume. I mean, they come right. from one of the smaller markets and we, we draw here. Very few are from West Virginia. They come here from Pittsburgh or they come here from Columbus, Ohio or Lexington, Kentucky, hoping to eventually work their way back to those areas and get out to you know, D.C., which is where you are and things of that nature. Um, so, so yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's unfair to, to paint them as that, uh, and that's not what their goal is. I mean, I'm not saying that some don't slip through the cracks from time to time, and that and that they they possibly do that, but uh, um, that's not the goal of most. And I can tell you, as somebody, I've been in, in the radio business for 34 years. I've right. done talk, I've done classic rock, I've done country, I've done you know 
uh, a little bit uh, top 40. I've done a little bit of everything, but I can tell you um, that I, I was never sent a memo from anybody um, from the FCC or any, any political organization saying, these are your talking points for the day. This is what you think about things. And I don't want to do that to my listeners either. I want them to think for themselves. You have a, um, a TV station in your market that's owned by Sinclair. And I know during the last election, there was an awful lot of talk in politics about Sinclair Broadcasting and they're, you know, heavy handed, ultra conservative and, uh, you know, all of their, their broadcasting leans in that direction. Um, I'm sure, you know, small market, you probably know a bunch of people that work there. When you watch that TV station, uh, do you see that come through locally? No, no, I don't. But where I do see it is when they, uh, when they throw in, um, on a local reporting basis, no, not at all. Okay. But I will say that uh, from time to time, because, you know, it, it is hard to fill up when you factor in commercials, what is it, 22 minutes or something like that of, uh, of news time. Um, and if they go to like um, a national story, it yeah. will have, it will obviously have a slant to it. It'll be a conservative slant to it. But on the local side, no, not at all. We're talking media bias with Dave Allen. He's a talk show host at WCHS Radio in Charleston, West Virginia. You can listen to his podcast uh, at WCHSnetwork.com. Um, you can also, Mark, I'll throw this in there. You can also, uh, it's on social media. It's on the, the WCHS Network Facebook page. I have a Facebook page, Dave Allen Radio. And also I'm on Twitter at Dave A70. You mentioned, uh, and it's a great time to talk about it, that you get... Uh, you know, five or six to one text to phone calls on your show, maybe more than that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're on Twitter and you're on social media. How much impact has the internet had on the way traditional media does what they do? It is, uh, it's huge. Uh, I mean, you can't even quantify. We had a, uh, uh, a, a police involved shooting in, uh, in Beckley, West Virginia, which is about an hour south of Charleston yesterday and um you know it was a tragic situation apparently someone suffering from some sort of mental illness was waving a gun around on the interstate and police had no choice but to, but to shoot the gentleman and um within a matter of moments after it happened and oddly enough i had just driven through that area within a matter of moments after it happened you know i get a text from a friend of mine saying hey have you seen this video and it was somebody that had sent it to him and you know, and so when I got to where I was going, I was meeting some people for lunch. You know, of course, I grabbed my phone. And I'm looking at Twitter, and the, you know, 30 minutes after it happened, all of the TV stations have already now. Some chose not to to air to to put the video up, which I applaud them. That my company on our uh, our um, uh, our platform did not put the video because it was very graphic. Some television right. stations in the market did. Our radio company did not. Um, but within 30 minutes after it happened, the video was out there. The reporters all have their Twitter pages, um, not so much Facebook, it's really more Twitter. So it's not just, you know, from WSAZ, and I'll use them for example, they're the NBC affiliate in, in Charleston, in a Huntington, Charleston market. It's not just WSAZ, it's the reporters, it's Tim Ear, it's, uh, you know, the others that are there. They actually have, they're putting it on their, on their Twitter page because people follow who they like. So the point in all this is that it is, there's no way to quantify how much social media has impacted the reporting of, of news. You know, you used to be, you waited for, as I said, I'm the relic. I actually watched the network news. I think that's more out of a, out of habit or out of tradition than anything else. Sure. Uh, but, but now it's breaking, you know, breaking news is in, is right here in, in the palm of your hand and not so much here with, with the newspaper, <laughs> which I still get, by the way. Um, I think basically what you're telling me is that you have a man crush on Lester Holt and you. <laughs> He's a pretty man. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, but I, but I will say this. You can't, as I said earlier, Bert, you cannot quantify the difference. And now one of the things I found really interesting Kind of going off the rails here but one of the things i found really interesting is now everybody is a reporter you know i was a journalism major in college i majored in pr which is part of the journalism school uh, at marshall university go heard uh, go heard and, and we were you know we were taught how to report how to verify sources and whatever now everybody is a reporter and and what i mean and i, I don't mean that they have any kind and, and, and 
you know, I, I think, well, it's another story for another time, but, but I think, though, that everybody down the street have now thinks that they're a reporter. And that sounds elitist when I say that, and that's not what I'm trying to say. But you have, when, whenever something, like, like the shooting, I used a tragic situation, you know, yesterday. Right. And unfortunately, a man lost his life, but a lot more people could have lost their lives because this guy's waving a gun everywhere. In traffic, I saw the video. In, in traffic on the interstate, on the West Virginia Turnpike, which is yeah. one of the most traveled roads in this part of the country. Um, but where that video, I mentioned my friend said to me where it came from was someone was shooting with their, you know, oh, oh gosh, look what's going on. And, and they're picking up their phone and they're recording and then they share it. So it's not only coming from broadcast sources anymore. It's coming from your grandma down the street. She's a, she's a reporter now. And, uh, and, and, and it's America. She has every, you know, he or she has every right to do that. But um, it comes with no checks and balances. You know, it just comes with, uh, well, here's what happened. And there's so many stories out there about people finding out that their loved one was killed in a car wreck because they read it on Facebook, you know, uh, because somebody's a reporter. I just think that's an interesting phenomenon that's uh, happened with the um, uh, in the world of social media that we live in now. And some people would say, look, that's a good thing. There are no filters and you can get to the real truth, but there is the other end of it where, as you said, you know, it, it, do you want people to find out this information in this way? Well, I mean, the video that I saw was taken by just a motorist who was in the area, and it was filled with expletives. And uh, and and this person that was filming, I have no idea who the person was. It was female, but I have no idea who it was. You know, her she was doing commentary basically, saying, "Oh my God," you know, not really that clean, but saying, uh, "Oh, they shot this poor man. They shot this." Poor. Well, uh, we find out later that's not the case, but by that time, it's been shared ten thousand times you know, right. or if not more, and they're only hearing person, and then it became, it becomes, look what these, what these filthy police officers did to the, to this guy, and because he didn't know the whole story. You, um, uh, we're talking to Dave Allen about media, media bias. You, you talk about the immediacy of the internet, and Twitter, and Facebook, and, and whatever. Um, in real terms, what does that mean to the newspaper? you know, where we used to wait until the morning paper came out to get the information or the afternoon paper, if you're lucky enough to live in two towns, or uh, you and I have both, uh, I came out of radio just like you did, where where you would wait to find out if there was going to be school the next day, or yeah. you'd have to wait till the end of the song to find out what the weather was going to be like, when it's all immediately available in the palm of your hand. And if you're a generation younger than us, and you grow up with that device in the palm of your hand, what does that mean to traditional media? It means that they have to, uh, as uh, as my grandfather used to say, they have to rack them up and shoot them again. Uh, it means that they've got to change their model. I mean, you know, I, I get, as I said, I get a morning newspaper delivered in my driveway, whatever, 4 or 4.30 in the morning before I get out of bed. It's waiting, I'm going to get there. By the time I have gotten that newspaper and I walk out to my paper box to get it, that newspaper, the the, the items contained in there are 12 hours or more old. It's obsolete. Uh, because they have already posted it online. Um, I mean, you know, and, and so they just had to change the way that, that they do business, at least the successful ones have, uh, and realize that um, you can't put the ketchup back in the jar. It's not going to be like it was in 1963 anymore. Um, they don't need you. And I think sometimes as broadcasters and people in the media, we need to realize that is that people can get their information from darn near anywhere right now. You've got to make it compelling and give them something that they can't get in the palm of their hand. You know, I have interaction, and I don't do everything perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but I have interaction with people that they're not going to find somewhere else. Um, I, you know, the when when I do get phone calls to the show, you know, yeah, you you if, if the school board is debating some big hot topic. Um, I can read about it somewhere else, but I'm not necessarily going to get the same information from other places. So I think it's, uh, I think to answer your question, I think that traditional media just has to learn a new model and realize that they're not breaking news anymore. By the time the morning paper arrives, I mean, our paper here in Charleston, West Virginia, we used to have two daily newspapers, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. They eventually merged. By the time that I get my newspaper in the morning, they don't even bother trying to do sports scores from the night before. 
there's no reason to because people have already got them on their phone. I'm a sports junkie. I get sports updates on my phone all day long. Right. Uh, that I don't need to pick up the paper to see who won the high school football game last night because by the time that the paper arrives here, it's already been posted by the paper on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or I've got texting services that send it out, send out these things, or I've just found it myself. So, so they simply got to change the way that they do business and give people things that they can't necessarily find, you know, more human interest type stories. I, I find that particularly uh, with a lot of the local stations here, um, there's a lot more human interest stuff in there because they can't necessarily, as I said, they can't necessarily find out information uh, about uh, about the, the, a town getting a new dump truck or, or something like that, or somebody, you know, some, some sweet little grandma celebrating their 100th birthday at the nursing home. And, you know, that's kind of where they've had to go at this point, you know, to be able to make themselves relevant. It's finding that that sort of unique, compelling, different angle because the breaking news is going to be in your phone. And I can tell you, living here in, in D.C. for the last couple of decades, uh, political slant of the paper aside, the Washington Post has incredible journalism and great feature writers, and they can go deeper into stories. Yeah. And, uh, and and many times it's the stuff that is not the front page news or the political stuff that that I find the most appealing about that paper because you can't get it anywhere else. It's really well written. Well, and you can only, I mean, there's only so many sides to, you know, again, whatever's being debated um, politically or economically or whatever, you know, sometimes you want a story that's going to say, okay, well, um, everybody's complained about the price of gas. What does it actually mean to the people that own the gas stations? You know, uh, they're not getting rich. And it's, it's a world I know a little bit about. They ain't getting rich. Now, somebody might be but it's not them. Not the what guy that it? owns the corner gas it's station. It's not the guy that owns the corner gas station. Uh, and, and so they've got to kind of, you know, a good idea for a story there, I would think, would be, well, let's go talk to the guy that owns your local, and there almost are no more corner gas stations anymore, but uh, uh, let's go talk to somebody uh, with, within, you know, one of the major chains and ask them, well, what does the impact of the high gas prices, what does it mean on the local people? Um you know, what does it, uh, how, how does it impact people that run the theater, you know, because people aren't going to movies necessarily now that they can't anymore because it's too expensive to drive there, you know, so you gotta, you just kind of, you just gotta kind of take a different angle, I, I guess. Dave Allen is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast brought to you by Speaker Match. want to ask you about a guy uh, that is a friend of yours, or at least an acquaintance, who sure gets an awful lot of national press uh and that's uh senator joe manchin who uh you know in this town in washington dc uh is is equally loved and loathed and i'm sure probably much the same as he is in west virginia (laughs) tell me about uh before we talk about his politics tell me about joe manchin as a guy i've been in a room with him a few times had some short conversations but what kind of guy is Joe Manchin? Let me tell you about Joe Manchin. And again, I'd like you, I'll say we'll stay away from the political realm, at least for now. Joe Manchin is probably the most amazing politician I have ever been around in my entire life. Joe Manchin has almost a photographic memory. If he sees you one time, he will remember something about you. Now, he may not remember your name, but he'll remember something about you. Joe Manchin has a way to make everybody in the room feel important. I've seen Joe Manchin because, you know, Joe Manchin for the senator, he was secretary of state here. He was in the legislature here. He was governor here. So he's held just about every office you can imagine in West Virginia before he uh, attained where he is now uh, to be a U.S. senator and one, as you said, one of the most powerful senators uh, in America. Um, Manchin makes everybody feel important. I mean, if he is at a function at some sort of a reception, he's before the evening's over, I was just at an event with Joe Manchin not long ago. It was a very, it was a fundraiser type of, not a political fundraiser. It was for a charitable organization. There's probably a thousand people there. I promise you, Joe Manchin talked to half of them that night. And before the night's over, he's in the kitchen talking to the cook. He's talking to the, the to the person that parked his car. He's talking sports or weather with uh, with with the lady at, at his uh, at the hotel front desk. I mean, that's just Joe Manchin, and that's just who Manchin is. And what you see nationally on Manchin is pretty much what you get. He's a deal maker. Um, he doesn't feel like he has a, 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 a place, I think, sometimes in Washington. You know, he ran some ads back here years ago, um, talking, and he used the term, Washington sucks. I know it. 
That's what he said. <laughs> and he said, hey, let's face it, Washington sucks. But you need me there to fight for you, you know, kind of kind of a thing. So uh, he, he's an amazing person. He really is. Politics aside, I don't agree with Joe on everything. I do agree with him on some things. Uh, but he is an amazing individual. I'll say that. So what do you think Joe Manchin's in the game is? What is he trying to accomplish by – uh, uh, you know, being a contrarian on so many of these issues. And, and he says, look, I'm, I'm trying to do what's best for my constituents in the state of West Virginia, which is, you know, very different than certainly the, the Democratic uh, uh, line. So do you buy that or is that uh, political? I, I do. Uh, I think he's doing what he thinks is the right thing to do for West Virginia. And he hasn't always done that. Um, there were there were times um, that uh, that he was on the opposite end of what, and I think he learned a, a valuable lesson. You know, Joe had a Senator Manchin had a couple of uh, of tight uh, races a couple of years ago. I mean, darn near got beaten uh, the last time he ran against the uh, sitting uh, uh, Attorney General here in West Virginia, who is um, very very staunch, you know, right wing Republican. And um, you know whatever whatever Senator Manchin does in D.C., he has to be able to sell in West Virginia, just like everybody in Congress and and in Washington has to do. They have to be able to sell it back home. And a lot of the things that are that the Democratic Party is pushing right now doesn't set well in Fallensby, West Virginia. You know, <laughs> uh, and uh, and that's where he's got to. I mean, and you ask about his end game. You know, there was talk that you know. Senator Manchin may look at a run for presidency or whatever. I mean, you got to understand, Joe Manchin is quite a bit older than you think he is. I mean, at the end of the, if he, he's up in 2024, if he wins, which I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't, if Joe Manchin wins again, it's an eight year term, he will be in his 80s. He doesn't look it. You know, he's a, he, he's a pretty, pretty good looking guy, takes care of himself, former athlete, played for the Mountaineers. But, uh, but, but Joe Manchin will be in his 80s, and you got to ask, how much longer does he want to do that? I mean, there was talk a couple of years ago that he might come back and run for governor of West Virginia. Uh, he was one of the more popular across the aisle governors. Uh, Manchin, is, as I said, is known as a deal maker. Um, he spent many, many uh, late hours at the governor's mansion. Uh, negotiating deals. Uh, you know, being at, at the time, you know, he, he's a lifelong Democrat, but at the time, uh, you know, Democrats control things in West Virginia. Uh, certainly not the case now. As I said, we're a bright red state now. But he knew in order to get certain things done as governor that he had to reach across the aisle and he would invite, you know, a delegate so and so from 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 Morgan County over for a couple beers to watch Monday Night Football. You know, that's just the kind of guy that Joe Manchin is. What uh, what in your opinion? You were there to see the the switch, the big swing caused that state to go from the uh, uh, the heavily democratic state it was when I was a kid that was very pro-union and I mean about as blue as you could get to this hard hard swing to the right now and I mean you are knee deep in Trump country you yeah. worship that guy there so how did that happen I, I will say this and it goes before Trump and I'm going to use one of the oldest axioms uh, that Ronald Reagan used which is the I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. And a lot of people in West Virginia feel that the modern Democrat, what they see, the, the Pelosi, the Schumer, the AOCs of the world, um, don't represent them. You know, West Virginia is a blue-collar state. Coal mining is was king here. Uh, there were other uh, subjects, if you will. I mean, the, you know, we had the, the steel market, which was big at one time, the chemical industry. Um, it was at one time, those are pretty much long since gone, but coal mining is still a thing here. Um, not what it was when you and I were kids, but, uh, but the coal mining is, is still, it's still around. Um, still a big employer back there with all oh, the yeah, and, and coal mines are opening, you know, the, the rumors of coal mining, coal mining's death have been greatly exaggerated. I was in Southern West Virginia just a couple of days ago, uh, and, uh, talking to a, 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 a guy down there, a businessman and, you know, they're opening up three coal mines. Uh, as we speak, you know, in the process right. of now his, his business is, and, and he services a lot of the trucks that you see on, uh, on mining sites, his business is booming right now, you know, uh, because first, you know, they've tried to kill it, but you know, coal, coal's not going anywhere. You know, it's not going to be what it was. It's not going anywhere. But that's, but that's beside the point. Um, they see a lot of, I mean, West Virginia, even though it was Democrat was always a very socially conservative state. This is a pro, this is a, um, a, a pro-life state, uh, 100%. 
Um, Bible Belt State, would you say? Uh, a Bible Belt. Uh, you know, there are pockets. Charleston, where I am, is tends to be a little bit more liberal uh, than certain areas of the state. Uh, Morgantown, home of WVU, a little bit more liberal. But that's about it. I mean, everybody else, they look at what they see that the Democratic Party has become in these I mean, I mean, Bert, the, 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 the most liberal of Democrats now are now calling out the Democratic Party with this whole woke movement. I mean, Bill Maher, who is one of my comedic heroes, got, is getting booed on his own show now because yeah. of, so, he's calling out in his mind, he calls it the BS, I'll clean it up, of people like AOC and these social issues and the, the whole woke, you know, the whole woke crap. So I think that's a part of it. Uh, I mean, it's a part of it. They don't, they look and they don't see the Democratic Party themselves. Um, you know, the, and, and, that, and that's just, and that's just where it is. And you add that with this war on coal, and it was a war on coal, uh, no matter what. Um, and, and, you know, they, they, people come in here and they look at coal miners and they say, well, uh, this is dirty what you're doing. And, and they look at them like they're stupid and whatever. You know, my dad was in the coal industry making six figures in the 1980s. Okay. Um, I don't know what the hell they're talking about when they come in and they talk about these, you know, these dirt poor coal miners. I certainly never saw it. I know you didn't see it. I mean, right. it was one of the better jobs, hard, grueling work. But you come in, you're going to take away people's livelihoods. That's a big part of it. And again, back to the social issue this is the Bible Belt. It's not uncommon from a lot of, you know, West Virginia uh, became a state. Uh, during the Civil War era, based on our 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 state's uh, objection to slavery and, and things of that nature, that's why we broke away from Virginia. But we are still a Southern state, in my opinion. But the culture, the food, the dialect—we are Appalachian. We are Southern to the hill here, um, and and it switched not because of any one person. The switch was happening before Donald Trump. Okay, Trump put the exclamation point on. You know, Trump came in West Virginia and he said, I'm going to put the coal miners back to work. Uh, well, he didn't, uh, but, but, they, but, they, but they believed it. And when they turn on the television and they see what's going on in a lot of bigger cities, they see, you know, what happened in Portland and they see, you know, cities being looted and whatever. They, that's not who we are. And it's seemingly to them, right or wrong, that's what the Democrats are. I, you know, one of my really good friends down here just became the state Democratic Party chair, and I have him on my show on a regular basis. And and, uh, and I said, Mike, man, you've got your work cut out for you. And he'll admit it. He'll say, the Republicans are much better at messaging. Not only do they tell us who they are, they tell us who we are. You know, they say if you, I mean, it's it's, uh, and I've used this this analogy on the air before, that. There is such a disdain for liberalism in most parts of West Virginia right now that if you're running for the something like the county surveyor or the assessor or something in some of the smallest county in West Virginia, your opposition, if you have a D after your name, is going to say a vote for John Smith for Wetzel County Assessor is a vote for Schumer Pelosi, which nothing could be further from the truth, <laughs> but, but, it, but, it, but it, works. Yeah. it works, and it's gone so far from when you and I, as I said earlier, were kids. I mean, you know, I, I was a member of the Republican Party in the 1990s when I when I got out of college and moved back to my hometown. They didn't have enough people to be poll workers because, you know, the law says in West Virginia, you have to have Republican and Democrat poll workers. They had to get permission from the state, from the Secretary of State uh, who manages elections in West Virginia to use Democrats as Republican poll workers because they didn't have enough Republicans. Now it is the exact opposite. There's no way a, a Democratic strategist on my show off the air said this a couple of days ago. And he's a guy in our general age group. He said, there will not be another Democrat elected to state office in West Virginia during my lifetime. And wow. this guy, again, he's in mid fifties, maybe sixty. He said, not during my lifetime will there ever be another Democrat. And it's not going to happen in West Virginia. It's simply not going to happen until the, Demo the moderate Democrats get a hold of this national party and totally distance themselves from, from them and say, that's not who we are. Uh, but it's not going to play until, until they do that. Do you think that there is still um, a place for you? You talked about yourself as a moderate conservative, and you just mentioned moderate Democrats. Is there a place for all those people that are in the middle that are not screaming on either sides? Or is, I, you know, Bert, is the I screaming don't, just bury it all? 
I think there is, but we get rounded out. You know, I'm an interesting person myself, and I make my political views known on my show. I am a Republican, uh, a conservative, more of an economic conservative than anything else, but I'm also pro-choice, and also I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump. Now, I, I, I basically, in my party, have, have no place right now because I don't worship at the Trump altar. Um, uh, and uh, uh, so there are a few of us out there, but most of us, I mean, one of my really good friends who's a high-ranking official in the Republican Party, and I won't mention his name, these are a high-ranking official, cannot stand Donald Trump. Did not, but but because he is completely shouted down. If you ever say anything negative about Trump, he can't say anything. When and, in, in that state, uh, I mean, super popular. And I get back to West Virginia oh often. Um, you know, Donald Trump is a rock star there. And so, and you talked about uh, you know Chuck Schumer and, and AOC being so out of touch with with folks in in West Virginia. What in the world do you think was the appeal? Of Trump in that state. Now you said he, he he said he was going to put the coal miners back to work, but but you would think that blue collar, hardworking West Virginia folks would look at him as a New York elitist as well. So what is the appeal of that guy? The appeal of Donald Trump in West Virginia is that he came in here and he didn't talk down to them like Hillary Clinton did, uh, and and make no mistake about it, some Democrats and some Republicans for that matter talk down. To people like you know, we're from the government and we know better than you do. Donald Trump didn't do that. Uh, Trump came when he campaigned in West Virginia, even though he's you know, uh, as you said, he's a New York elitist or whatever. He came across as somebody who was a normal person and he was not a politician. And if you tell people over and over again, "I'm not a politician," then eventually they'll believe it. And what the one thing I heard about Trump and talking to people, even before I was you know doing the current radio show I'm doing now is people would say, well, he's like us. He's one of us. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't hang out with a lot of billionaires at this point. <laughs> a lot of wives. Uh, maybe you do, because that's your life. But, uh, but, but, uh, but you know, he, he, he came across as being one of them and genu- genuinely caring about them, whether that's real or not. And, and, and I think that there's something that, you know, the West Virginians always feel like they're getting crapped on because I mean, let's face it, you know, we are the butt of so many jokes. Most people, you, you meet somebody and you travel a lot more than I do and you say you're from West Virginia. Oh, that's near Richmond. Uh, I have no uh, idea. It's even a state. We have been a state since 1863. Okay. Um, and we're not all uh, barefoot hillbillies here. Some of us even have college educations and things of that nature. But a lot of the Democrats, I think, over the years have kind of talked down to them. And, and again, Trump was just the perfect storm. He came in at the right time. When this switch, the seismic switch that I talked about, when the Democratic Party was going so far left, Trump comes in and takes it so far right. He picks up the middle people and he says, OK, who do you have more in common with, me or Schumer, AOC, Pelosi? Well, of course, it's going to be Trump, even though he's a billionaire, supermodel wife, you know, so on and so forth. And I think that's why, I mean, Donald Trump is still a god. I travel the state a lot. And everywhere you go, there are still Trump signs, Trump 2024. Um, And it's only gotten stronger in West Virginia because, unfortunately, there are a lot of people, a lot of seemingly intelligent people that think the election was stolen, which it was not. And I'm saying that as a conservative Republican. We lost, okay? We lost. Get over it. Joe Biden is your president. Now, whether he knows he's president, I don't know. But Joe <laughs> Biden is your president. And, and and get over it. And Trump has continued to, I mean, you know, they, they, they've looked at, at races he's got involved with around the country. And he's about 50-50. You know, some states he really, really turn out if, if he has the, if he endorses somebody. Other states, not so much. In West Virginia, I'm going to tell you, you could, you could kill a kitten on the front steps of the state capitol, but if Donald Trump puts his arm around you, you're getting elected. That's just the way it is right now in West Virginia, which is, I think, in a lot of ways unfortunate, but it is what it is. You say on your radio show there in Charleston what you just said to me on the podcast, that, that Trump lost the election, and if so, yes, yes I what do. kind of blowback do you get? Uh, plenty. Uh, plenty. Uh, I get it. That Well, and, and again, this is where, going back to media, this is where, well, did you see this story? And it's something reported on Newsmax or it's something reported on InfoWars or whatever that crap is, you know, it's something like that. Um, yeah, I say it. I, I say it point blank. I say, you know, Trump lost the election. Um, 
he did it to himself. Uh, I, I get really more blowback over my feelings on January 6th because I do feel it was an insurrection and I do feel that those people should be prosecuted. And I do feel that Donald Trump could have said two words, go home, and those people would have gone home. And I think he, he has a big, big role in January 6th. And I say that on my show and uh, it does not make me popular, especially with my Republican brethren. Um, had um, uh, I, I'm I'm in a leadership role in the Republican Party in my home county, which I keep totally separate. You know, uh, I've never even mentioned that on the air. That I, I mean, you can look it up and see that I am. I'm on the executive committee right. in my home county here, and uh, but I never mentioned that on the air. Uh, you know, I, I ran without opposition. You know, for my particular district that I live in. Um, I had two members of our uh, executive committee resigned last week, and one of the reasons that they cited was that they didn't feel that certain people on the committee shared their ideology and referred to certain people as being rhinos, Republican to name only. And well, that was that'll be you. That would that would point blank be me. Uh, and so they resigned, and, uh, and 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 so be it. But yeah, I I say it on the show uh, all the time. I said I, I called January six what it was. I was like a lot of people. I was actually watching it. I was actually watching it on C-SPAN. I was watching it in my office, but I had the volume turned down because I had a feeling something was going to happen. And then when I saw, I saw the, un, the, the, there was no narration or anything of what was happening. What I saw was on C-SPAN. And I saw it in real time, man. And it was one of the scariest things I think that I have ever seen. Um, and, and, and Donald Trump could have done so much more. To, I mean, two words, and they would have stopped. If he just said, stop, go home, this would have been over. It was, uh, it was the second roughest day for me being a Washington, D.C. resident since September 11th when the Pentagon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you one last question. Yes, sir. And, uh, and that uh, doesn't have to be about politics, but it can be. What do you think people around the country get wrong about our home state? Um, the it's fact a that long we're... list. We could be here until yeah. next yeah. week. What the fact that we're, that we're backwards, that we're hillbillies. Uh, uh, I mean, I've had running water for five years now. Uh, <laughs> I've actually had running water. I'm 51 and about to be 52, and I've had running water my entire life. I think that they, they think that we're, uh, that we're ignorant, that we're stupid. Um, and we don't do a lot, you know, in some cases to, to for, you know, the thing about stereotypes is, as a wise man once said, the things about stereotypes is, is most of them are based in truth. And it had to it had to come somewhere. It just got greatly exaggerated. Um, I think so that, when you uh, see things like the wild, wonderful whites of West Virginia, uh, which is on Amazon Prime, does it make you crazy, or can you look at that and laugh at it? I mean, there are people that live like that in West Virginia, but it's it's not the majority. Um, that's the only. I, I look. I am I am a free speech uh, advocate to the hilt, and and I I will never. I will, you'll never hear me say anything negative about about performative arts, so to speak. That's just somebody's interpretation. Um, that there are, I actually know those people. Uh, <laughs> uh, I literally, I, I, I know at least a couple of the members of the family. Um, but that's not, that's not who West Virginia is as a whole. That's who, it's just like, you know, not everybody in Texas wears a cowboy hat. You know, uh, not not everybody in Los Angeles, California is, you know, a Hollywood, you know, what you think of when you think a Hollywood star, people just naturally stereotype and they when you when they think you're from West Virginia or they find out you're from West Virginia, they assume, oh, what what is it like there? And it's even worse being in southern West Virginia where you and I are from, because I get this from the northern people in West Virginia. Well, I'm going to uh, I'm going down to Logan County, West Virginia, which is where you are originally from going down to Logan County. Well, I have cell phone service there. Is do they have internet there? Yes. yes <laughs> do I need to arm internet. myself before I go there? Well, you do need to arm yourself, but that's well, there that's, is that. Well, I think people should arm themselves anyway, uh, because this is a society we live in. But that's beside the point. But uh, but uh, I think that's probably it. It's just the whole that they buy into the whole stereotype of of what they think West Virginia is, and then when people actually come here and they see it's one of the most beautiful states in the union. Um, people are literally coming here from all around the world to ride the Hatfield McCoy Trail, the ATV trail system in southern West Virginia. They're literally coming here from all around the world to, to ride the New River Gorge and do the rapids, you know, on the, on the New River. They're coming here for world-class skiing. Um, there's, there's a lot. To, our, our home state has a lot to offer, but you've got to get by the wonderful whites of West Virginia in order to, to, to see that. 
everybody in Hollywood is not a Hollywood liberal elite and everybody in West no. Virginia is not Jessica White. You're right. You're 100% uh, correct. And, uh, uh, and, and I wish you uh, visit one time. I mean, you know, during the pandemic, uh, West Virginia, you know, West Virginia is one of the, uh, one of the, it's, we're the oldest state in the nation, you know, uh, statistically speaking. Um, we have more deaths and births every, every year. But during the pandemic, Burke, it's an interesting thing happened. We found that there were people actually choosing to move to West Virginia when they found out they could work remotely. Uh, and West Virginia geographically is very close to major cities. You know, we're, we're not far from Pittsburgh. I can, you know, within, what is it? You probably know the statistic better than I do. It's something like within about three to four hours, you can be. Um, uh, 70% of the, the population. 70% of the population you can be. I mean, um, you know, we're not far from D.C. We're not far from Cincinnati, Columbus, Pittsburgh. Uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, some of the major hubs. I mean, uh, and we found that people were moving here. Uh, and they were because uh, especially younger people, which is what we need in West Virginia. There are there were younger people that were choosing to live here because of the outdoor life. You know, the younger people really they they value the 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 people. The experts say they value experiences more than they do uh, possessions. You know, they they're not so much about the big car, the big house. They 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 like to go mountain biking. They like to do these things, and you can do all those things in West Virginia. And people were choosing are choosing to 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 live here. Great place to be from. Thanks for yeah, taking well, the time. <laughs> you got to watch how you say that. Great place to be from, though, because <laughs> I like that. It's, but it is. I mean, I've had opportunities to to go to uh, other states. Um, both my wife and I have, and her 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 company that she works for um, has offices in in major uh, metropolitan areas. And she um, she told him no. You know, West Virginia has the lowest crime rate in America. Uh, it's the one of the lowest cost of living uh, in America. Uh, the taxes are insanely low here, uh, not low enough for people like me, but I'll say that they, they're insanely low. So come see us in West Virginia. Come for the outdoors and stay for the biscuits and gravy. Ah, I love it. I love it. Hey, thanks for being with us today. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure, man, as always. Thank you, buddy. That's my friend Dave Allen. He hosts 580 Live at WCHS Radio in Charleston, West Virginia the state capital and you can hear him at wchsnetwork.com look him up on social media as well and uh, thank you speakermatch.com for sponsoring the show today this is the big time talker podcast posts every tuesday morning wherever you go whatever you do today make it a great day thanks for listening bye everybody